Life without end. Well, night will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. All sorrow will fade away. Until that day, we give you praise continually and honor and glory. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. Now, thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding to the heart and to the soul. How shall young men cleanse their ways except for by taking heed unto your word? Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And thank you for opening up your word to us tonight. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll breathe on us tonight. We don't need another dead letter in these critical times. We need a living word. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you for that wonderful ministry. Amen. And uh, thank you. I saw an acoustic piano come in here and I said, okay, what's up? Amen. And upright. Amen. Haven't seen one of those for a while. Amen. And thank you for the ministry there. Amen. Done well. Amen. In Jesus' name. And what a message. What a message. Amen. Well, we thank the Lord for the opportunity he's given unto us to be with you during these uh, times together for our time with our men and then Sunday morning last night. And now we come to this uh, session where we've been talking about hidden treasure, hidden treasure. And if you will, would you take your Bible and could you hold it up and could you make this declaration after me or your digital instrument, wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from, hold it up. Say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world. This one is mine. I can be what, he, what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him because I am a diligent seeker of God my life will be better because I have heard the word of faith do you believe that I believe that let's make our lives better join me again in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 Sunday we spent uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night in Hidden Treasures, part number one. Sunday morning covering one through three and then covering uh, point number four. Uh, last night, as we looked at this whole ideal of hidden treasures. And as we looked, we saw that um, servant leaders are people who have to embrace a world that is very much larger than their own current context. Servant leaders who are looking for hidden treasure are people that are fully engaged in her now while always reaching and embracing their future. We have found out that treasure is that which is has worth and value. We found that treasure is that which is rare and precious and costly. We found out that we have treasure inside of us. And as I begin our time together, I begin with this thought that great servant leaders see treasure where other people see trash. 
And sometimes we have people that are throwaways as society would have them just let them go away or we'll just throw them away. But great servant leaders see treasure where other people see trash. Some people would have thrown away an apostle like Paul. Some folks would have thrown away a David after his failure. You know, some would have thrown away Adam after his rebellion against God. Some would have thrown away Abraham after he denied that Sarah was his wife. Some would have thrown him away after he had an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. Some would have thrown away Moses after killing an Egyptian and burying him in the sand. Some would have discounted him because he didn't go into the promised land. You know, when we read the Bible, we read the Bible about a lot of throwaways, rejects, that God saw treasure in the trash. I think it's important for us to understand that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And servant leaders must see treasure where other people see trash. You see, great servant leaders help others to discover the treasure inside themselves. And as treasure hunters, to win lost people to Jesus, you and I must help people to discover the treasure inside of themselves. You see, great servant leaders see people as treasure. And one of the things that we did yesterday was I shared my own journey. Uh, first of all, when I first came to the Lord seeing sinners going to hell and trying to interrupt sinners going to hell and make it hard for people to go to hell for my city. My second picture was lost sheep and seeing these vulnerable sheep out there subject to the wolf, the bear, the lion and the snake. And because of their vulnerability, they needed a shepherd to come and to rescue them and to bring them into the sheepfold. But today, as I stand in 2017, my picture is that there's treasure buried, alive and breathing, in this field called New England. And part of our responsibility is to be treasure hunters and to go out in our community, go out in our country, and go out among the nations and find the treasure in the field. You see... Great leaders are servants to humanity. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse number seven says, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, the new living translation says about that verse, we now have the light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing great treasure. That makes it clear that the great power is from God and not from ourselves. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Verse number six of Second Corinthians chapter four is also important because it gives us some insight into some of the treasure we have inside. God has commanded that light should shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, God has put his light inside of us to bring people out of darkness. He has put his knowledge inside of us to bring us out of ignorance. He has put his glory inside of us to bring us out of uh, out of uh, the bring us in the victory and the glory of overcoming. 
For when Paul writes, he writes to a Hebrew audience that was looking for light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And he says, if you're Hebrews, he said, the Lord has shined his light in our heart. If you were Greek and you were looking for Gnosis, knowledge, he says that the Lord has given knowledge. And if you are a Roman who is looking for the glory of the empire and the glory of the emperor and the glory of conquest, he says, in the face of Jesus Christ, there is glory for you. Light and knowledge and glory are there all found in the face of Jesus Christ. Now look with me at another anchor scripture that we've used, and that's Matthew 1344. And in 1344, Matthew is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. And as we look at this parable of the kingdom of heaven, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hides. And for the joy thereof, he selleth all that he has to buy the field. The, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid in a field. We have said a treasure is something of great worth and value. A treasure is a collection of precious things. Treasure is a person esteemed as rare and precious. And can you imagine Jesus walking through this field called earth? And as he's walking through this field, he finds something of value. That's you and I. He then says, it's worth paying whatever price necessary to buy this field so I can get the treasure. He gave his life for us. Not only to redeem all things in heaven, but to redeem all things in earth. And friends, when he got up, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I say treasure is people. The thing that God values in the earth is people. The only thing that Jesus is coming back to the earth for is people. Contrary to popular belief, he's not coming back for your house, your car, your fur coat your jewelry, things that we esteem of value. The one thing of value that Jesus will return to this earth for is people. We have this treasure in earthen vessel. We are treasure hunters walking through the New England area looking for treasure in the community. Now let's talk on hidden treasure because as we look at this whole ideal of hidden treasure, Matthew chapter six, while we're there, Matthew, and verse number 19 gives us an insight on the also another level of treasure that we should know and that we should pay attention to treasure. When we look at this ideal of treasure, I think it's important that you and I see that in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 19, not only are we treasure, not only do we look for treasure, but you and I need to understand that we should watch the way that we handle some of our natural treasure. In Matthew six nineteen, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth where moth and rust doth destroy and where uh, thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. Notice this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now here he talks about that you and I should not just lay up treasure on the earth. Don't just be a hoarder accumulating a bunch of stuff. 
The old Pharaoh's narrative when we were in Egypt was a, narr- was a narrative of fear, of anxiety. It was also a, it was a narrative of monopoly. And it was also a narrative of control. Pharaoh wanted everything and then he wanted to control everything. You know, the American consumerism that we get involved in sometimes says, get everything you can, can everything you set, get, and then sit on the can. Consumerism says, get all you can, keep all you can, and hold on to all you can. But listen, in our kingdom, God says where your treasure is, there also is where your heart is. Now, he talks about laying up treasure in heaven. How do I do that? See, heaven is the reign and the rule and the realm of God. Heaven, when I think about it. And the kingdom of heaven is the invasion of heaven in the planet earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the invasion of heaven, the reign, the rule, and the realm of God in the planet earth. I call the kingdom of heaven uh, the alternative community. In the midst of all the government styles in the world, God, when we enter into Christ, we enter into a different kind of community. We run on different values. We have a different Lord. We have a different rule. Uh, quiet as is kept, Americans. We even have a different constitution. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And because we are part of an alternative community, we have different values. Now, treasures on the earth are natural, temporal, and they are also uh, perishable. Anything that you buy is going to be obsolete within 18 months. You get your brand new iPhone, and they already have the next model, marketing and advertisement scheme already in the box, waiting in the wings, waiting to get out. Why? Because in the world that we live in, the consumerism world that we live in, the goal is to keep everybody dissatisfied with what you currently have. So let's take slacks for an example on men. You know, when I was coming up, bell bottoms were in. Anybody remember bell bottoms? I'm dating myself, dating myself, dating myself, dating myself. (laughs) <laughs> and then all of a sudden the pants legs to get everybody dissatisfied got real thin and then all of a sudden the pants were fitted on your leg and then all of a sudden you know all of a sudden nc hammer comes out and then everybody has diaper pants you know i didn't get into that thing it just didn't appeal to me that much but everybody started drooping and then all of a sudden everything became wide and big and you know and everybody was walking around they looked like they had on their their big brother's pants you know and then all of a sudden things get formal for a while so everything is kind of dress up and now the new model is kind of the dress down and the relaxed feel and you know what Madison Avenue and marketing always does? It just constantly keeps you dissatisfied. Therefore, it's always perishable. You pay for a car, it's still running, and all of a sudden a new model and shape and color comes out, and now I want a new car. I couldn't wait until I made that last car payment 
but now I want to either spend a lot of money cash or go back into 36 months, 48 months, sometimes even 60 months of debt just because the model has changed. Dissatisfaction is the way that marketing works. What would happen if I started investing in something eternal? So treasure in heaven is spiritual, it's valuable, and it's permanent. And the word says, now listen, you can chase and invest in that which is natural and temporal and, let's see, perishable. But there's also treasure in heaven that is spiritual, it is valuable, and it's also permanent. See, treasure in heaven is a figure of speech for benevolent works and acts of kindness that we do. I can lay up treasure in heaven and I can buy all kinds of natural things that can wear out, that can be stolen, and that can erode, or I can do some benevolent acts of kindness for what God calls treasure, and those things are noted above all. You see, in the end, I put a little text in here out of Jeremiah in these notes. And in this little text out of Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse number 19, it says, you are a great in counsel. Thank you, Lord. You are mighty in works. Your eyes are open on all the ways of the sons of men to give according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. God is watching our ways where we make investment and he's also watching the fruit of our doing. Now listen, at the end, I believe that one of the ways that we are evaluated, Romans chapter one, or Romans chapter two says, God will evaluate us according to our ways and the fruit of our doing. Now, your ways stop at death. But the fruit of our doing goes on after death. And so there's a day that God will evaluate us to not only look at our ways, but look at the fruit of our doing. Now that has a positive and a negative picture that we need to look at. Because our ways stop at death, but the fruit of our doing goes on after death. In a negative sense, I've had a chance to counsel and talk with people that have gone through trauma in their life. And one of the traumas I've seen people go through is a trauma like being molested. You know, when someone has been molested, it does a damage to the person. Because illegal, unethical, unscriptural, unbi and unbiblical touch, those things can damage a person. Some people, when molestation goes on a long time, they even develop another personality so that they can say, I'm really good, but this bad person is being damaged. And sometimes it takes professionals to help pull that all back together again. Listen, when the person who is the molester dies, the molestation stops. However, the fruit of that molestation can go on and on and on for years in that person who was the victim's life. Some never get it back together emotionally and mentally until Jesus invades their life and they go through both inner healing and then the healing of those memories. Some people uh, develop things like schizophrenia. Not all schizophrenics have been molested, but some do. Some become immoral themselves because they're looking for love only but in all the wrong places. 
Some are so damaged that they won't develop good relationships, especially if there were same sex touch at an early age. Though the molester is dead, the fruit of their doing goes on and on and on. And God says, there's a day I'm going to not only render to you according to your ways, but according to the fruit of your doing. It's called the judgment day. Some people and some of the prophets called it in a negative sense, that great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's on a negative sense. Let's talk about a positive sense. God will render unto every man according to his works and according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Let's say that you and I walk along the world, along our life, and we're hidden treasure, we get found, we get picked up, cleaned up, and then we're put on display, and we start making investments. We make investments maybe in, I looked at your map in the hallway, missions efforts that come through this church periodically. And let's say that we make an investment in India to preach the gospel there. And whenever our Indian missionary comes back home, we make another investment. You know that when I die, my investment in India stops. But just think about, even though I have died, the fruit of my doing is going on and on and on. Because that investment I made in my Indian missionary trained some pastors. And though I may be dead, that pastor is now going to preach. And more people from India, from a Hindu background, or maybe even from a Muslim background, are getting saved. And some that have no religious background are getting saved. And though I am dead, there's fruit that's being accumulated time and time and time and time and time to my account. And when I stand before Jesus, I'll see all of these people from India that God says, let me show you the fruit of your doing. And I'll stand and I'll say, but Lord, when did I ever go to India? And he said, you sowed a seed in the India. And that seed came up and it sprouted. And there was first the blade and then the stock and then the ear and then the harvest. And that's part of our harvest. And so on a positive sense, whatever we do, the manuals that you write, the books that you leave, the tape series and, and, and packages that you leave, the music that you write, that they keep on singing way after we're gone. God says, I have a day because I'm great in counsel and mighty indeed, and I will render it to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Your ways stop at death, but the fruit of your doings go on after death. That's why I have to live life with an eternal view. I can never measure my life in this life. My life is not even measured at the funeral service. Though people get up and say all kinds of things about people at funerals that I sometimes wonder, did you say that to them when they were alive? <laughs> oh, that some people were alive to hear what people say about them during their life. That's why I'm a big proponent in giving people compliments, telling them what kind of person you really are when you're alive in a positive sense so that they can hear it because my ways stop at death, but the fruit of my doing go on after death. I want to make such an investment in people, such a positive word in people, such a word that they need to hear in people, lay so much truth in people's lives, that there's fruit that's coming out of their life. And when Lafayette scales fades off the scene, that that fruit is still coming up. I'm laying up treasure in heaven.
benevolent acts and acts of kindness and kind words that you and I sow is treasure that we sow in the God's treasure in the earth. You see how important is this treasure? In Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus has an encounter with a young man. Uh, the multiple gospels let us know that this young man was very young. He was also very rich. And he comes to Jesus and, um, and he wants to know what can he do that he might inherit eternal life. Jesus says, uh, you know what the law uh, keep, uh, says, keep his commandments. And he says, how do you read it? And uh, as Jesus uh, tells him that, the young man says, all these things I have kept from my youth in Matthew 19 and verse number 20. And then the young man, Jesus says to this young man, and Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, fully complete, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have this. Notice this term again. I'm talking about hidden treasure, treasure in heaven. And come follow me. You see, treasure in heaven not only includes acts of kindness, but it also includes acts of kindness we do for the poor. You see, acts of kindness are seen and validated by God, especially for those that are poor. When I look and read the law, when I read through the law, uh, 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 Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what I find out is God keeps on putting these little provisions in his law for the poor. When you read God's law, the Torah, you'll find out that the poor are never the problem. The poor is one of our assignments. It's true in the law of Moses. It comes through the prophets because nations rose and fell because of their mistreatment of the poor. Jesus comes back and validates the poor, and then the apostles are told to remember the poor. He tells this young man, listen, I know you've done all these things. You didn't murder anybody. You didn't commit adultery in verse number 18. You didn't steal. You didn't bear false witness. Honored your father and mother. And it says, and love thy neighbor as yourself. He says, I've done all these things. He says, yeah, but here's one thing you lack, your treatment for the poor. Now, listen. Sometimes we argue about which poor should we help. And that argument I've had with pastors in my city and with benevolent organizations. All I know is that he says, go sell what you have. And he says, listen, he says, go sell what you have. And he says, and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Here's one poor that, that is explicit in the Bible. It's explained. James, the brother of the Lord, in the New Living Translation, in James chapter 1 and verse number 27, it says, listen, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans, that's fatherless children, widows, folks that have no husband covering them because a husband has died in their distress and also refusing to let the world corrupt you. Refusing to let the world corrupt you. When we go through this world, there's always people that we want to blame for our problems. And the poor seems to be the bad guy. Jesus said, listen, go sell what you have and give it to the poor. Caring for others leads 
to reaching the lost. One of the things that we've done in a practical way as a church to help with hidden treasure is we've asked a question, where are the poor in our community? We found out in our city, Columbus, Ohio, study was done in, um, in 2015. And what they did was they looked at the cities in the United States that had the greatest amount of economic segregation economic segregation. In other words, you had the very wealthy and the very, very poor. And in these cities, when they did this study, they discovered that these were the cities where poor people had the least amount of chance to move to the next level of being lower middle class or middle class, that the poor had the least amount of opportunity to move up. They found seven cities. Of those seven cities, they reduced it to five cities. Of the five cities, my city, Columbus, Ohio, was one of those cities. The worst of the worst neighborhoods in all five of those cities were found in my city. One area was called the Linden area. The other city was, uh, other section was called the Hilltop area. And in these two sections of our city, they said that the poor people in these two sections of the city, in all of the United States, 300 million people, that these were the worst places to live if you were poor to kind of move up the economic ladder. You have the wealthiest of the wealthiest in this city, but you also have the poorest of the poor. They cannot move. The church got together in our city and we have 960 churches in my city. Yeah, we have a city of about almost uh, almost two million people, about, about 100,000 people live inside the outer belt and everybody else, 1.3 million people live around the outer belt. And the churches, 900, 960 churches in our city, about 240 of those churches are African-American led, which means there are people that look like me for station identification. And uh, we got together and we said, well, what are we going to do about this? Not everyone came to the table, but of those who came to the table, we said we cannot have successful churches in a failing community. There's treasure out there on the hilltop and in Linden. What can we do to make an impact? And one of the things that we decided as churches is that if every church would, first of all, adopt a school we can make a difference by adopting a school. Every church, take a school so that we can begin because education is a key to open the door to get out of poverty. Now they tried to put prayer out of the school. But sometimes God lets things get so desperate that people don't care whether you say Jesus Allah, Buddha, if they need help, they want your help. And now they don't care that all these Jesus people want to help them with the schools. Because sometimes God will let things get so bad that people will look unto him. He'll permit it to happen. So we adopted a school down the street from us, an elementary school, and then the high school, both of which were in failure. We found out the kids at Cal City Elementary School, uh, their reading level was three times below the reading level. In the state of Ohio, they determine how many prisons they're going to build by kids' ability to read at a third grade reading level. 
If a child by the time he hits sixth grade cannot read at a third grade living reading level, they know it's going to be a school, the prison pipeline. That's the way Ohio State, the state of Ohio determines and projects how many prisons they would build. So just getting up to a third grade reading level can make a difference. We partnered together with one of my evangelist friends, Lloyd Craycross, the center of hope. And we said, listen, Vade Cassidy Avenue School. He found about 120 volunteers, about 50 of which came from our church. And all we became was reading buddies with students at lunchtime on Tuesday, on Wednesday and Thursday. Our church has a lot of baby boomers. Those baby boomers are retiring. We have a lot of builder generations. They are retired, but they can read. They don't have to be teachers. They don't have to know math and science and, and trigonometry and calculus. They don't need to know all of those biology and botany. If you could just sit down and be a reading buddy. And what we found is every student that we work with by the grace of God came up at least three grading levels, uh, three reading levels because we saw some treasure in those schools. I'm telling you, friends, there's no throwaways. But we have to see treasure instead of trash. And I'm telling you what, that there are people that tried to block God out. But how can you keep an omnipresent God out of any place? We went and invaded that school. We saw reading grade levels go up at least three grades. One lady, Andrea Vogel, gave the testimony. She said, I start off with a little guy and he was hostile when I came in to start reading. And he sat there with his arms crossed and said, I don't like reading. I can't read. And she said, I started reading to him and had him read back to me reflectively and started helping him with reading words. And then I started bringing books that I gave to my daughter when I was raising her. And all of a sudden he started finding out that he could actually read these words. And she said, and by the end of the years, he was saying, Miss Vogel, come down the hallway. And he was reading signs. He was saying, let me read that sign for you. And he was reading it out loud. And let me read that sign for you. And he was reading it out loud. And let me read that sign for you. And he was reading it out loud because somebody needs to see treasure instead of trash. I'm telling you this hidden treasure out there. And Jesus says, man, don't just lay up all your treasure in the earth where the moth is going to corrupt. Thieves are going to break in and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven. And James, the brother of the Lord says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the father is caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to be corrupted with this world. The world system that we live in says, look out for number one, look out for yourself. But God says, I'm concerned about you and everybody else. So I'm asking God to help me to be more godly, not just be concerned about myself. I'm looking out for you and everybody else. You see, caring for others leads to reaching the lost. You know that some of those kids have now begun to come to our Sunday schools. Because one of the big threats of kids coming to Sunday school is literacy because our faith is based on literacy. We say almost every Sunday, read your Bible, study your Bible. But if you cannot read, you won't go to a small group because they may call on you to read. You won't go to Sunday school because they may put one of those papers and say, and Johnny, can you read this? And shame comes in and avoidance comes in. And friends, literacy 
is important and we may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. Would you lean on your neighbor and say, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. Use your outdoor voice. Tell them you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. Jesus told this rich young man. And one of the questions I had to ask of this text in this second point is what is a rich believer's responsibility in a poor world? I had to ask that question out of Matthew 19, 21. Because we're dealing with a rich young ruler. What is a rich believer's responsibility in a poor world? You see, I've had a chance to travel about 23 different nations during ministry. I've traveled more nations than that on vacations, but doing ministry. And everybody doesn't have buildings like this. Everyone does not drive into communities like this to worship. And I must ask the question, not in a condemning way, but in a questioning way, what is a rich Christian? Because whether you recognize or not, if you live in America, you are wealthy compared to a lot of places in the world. That's why I'm a proponent to get every Christian a passport so they can step off the borders of this country sometime. So maybe you will kiss the ground once you come back here. Friends, you and I need to raise the question, what becomes my responsibility with my portfolio, with my investments? And with that bounty that God has given unto me in a pearl word. And I found out that caring for others leads to reaching the lost. You see, it's not only the measure of ourselves who render unto us according to our ways and according to the fruit of our doing. And our ways stop at death, but the fruit of our doing goes on after life. Listen, God actually, our acts of kindness are seen and vindicated by God. But friends, I really believe that nations, point number three, nations are measured by the benevolent deeds to the least of these. That's the way God measures nations. And right now we're in a time of national transition. We have a new president in, President Trump. We have a transition that's taking place. And I'm always asking with every transition, how are our nations measured by God? You see, in our kingdom, poor, the poor are not the problem. They are our assignment. Matthew 25 is an interesting text. Because in Matthew chapter 25, um, we find a, a word written here. And in Matthew 25, we find in verse 31, I'll read a portion of this one. Um, we find this word written, Matthew 25 and 31. It says, listen, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne in glory. Now, all the nations will be gathered before him and he shall separate them one from another as a sheep divides, no, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Notice this, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger 
and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice this portion. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, surely I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, in the end, how we respond to the least of these, my friends, will determine the judgment of the nations. How do we treat the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the international, the word stranger in, old, in King James is the word international, the sick and the imprisoned. You see, I love this text because God notices our acts of mercy and acts of mercy are a direct aid. I met the, together with what was called the Homeless Network of Columbus, Ohio, the Homeless Network Collaboration. And I found out that people in our city are homeless. They've torn down much public housing, leaving people sometime with mental health issues and people that just life happened to. Some of them, they had a catastrophic disease, they maxed out on their insurance, and all of a sudden they could not pay medical bills, lost house, lost home, lost job, homeless. My friend that runs the Center of Hope and Emergency Food Pantry, one of the things he said, these people need direct aid, and sometimes he sees people come in, and they're standing there, and they're coming to the foyer, and they don't know how to sign in. They don't know how to express that they have a need. He has people come in that used to be middle class, and when you have economic downturn or life happens, and all of a sudden they're plunged into the depths of poverty, and some just weep at the counter and say, I never have had to do this before. Because life happens. And friends, when they come in, we have to ask the question, how do we handle hungry people? Thirsty people. Naked people. When I went to the homeless network, they said we have three components of the homeless network. One is that we give direct aid to the homeless. We go out in the homeless camps. We find people living in the cars. And it says, and we give direct aid. And these are people that take out things like blankets and sleeping bags and sweaters in the wintertime because people are homeless and all they want is a coat. They want socks. They want blankets. They give direct aid. There's another group that say we feed the homeless. So about seven days a week, there's a team that goes into a homeless camp. Somebody may bring chili one night. Somebody may bring a food packet the next night. Somebody may bring a sandwich and that may feed the homeless. But then there's a third group that say we want to help homeless people not be homeless anymore for those that want to transition from homelessness in the temporary homes 
Let's help them to do that. So they have worked together with rehabbing houses to get homeless people in the houses. When they get into it, then we have a furniture bank inside of our city that, that churches and nonprofit organizations can pay a certain amount each year and we can uh, refer a few families to them and they will outfit them with furniture for a living room, a bedroom, and also for, uh, for a uh, kitchen area. We found out in our city with the homeless, they're also when the homeless come into these homes, they don't have things like pots and pans and dishes and things like that. Our, our church said, well, we can help there because I found in our church, people have stuff in boxes that they've ordered off a of QVC <laughs> that they've never opened up, said it and forget it. They bought it and forgot it. And we found out that we filled up, John, you've been there, our welcome center where we have dinner after the summit. We filled that place up with stuff, stuff with tags on it. I'm not talking about new stuff. I mean, old used stuff. I'm talking about used, uh, new stuff. Towels from, from, uh, 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 what's the name of that place, Teresa? TJ Maxx. That's one of the big stores in our city. Towels, stacks of them. Tags still on them. And we were able to help out about 16 homeless families. Totally out. They said, man, when I was in my previous house, I didn't have stuff this nice. Because you and I can't do everything. But we can do something in that because we got to see people as treasure. You see, you can see people as trash and say, well, if they're homeless, it's their fault. Somebody played that game with Jesus when they found a man born blind. The blame game started. Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither this man or his parents are sin. That he would be in this condition. But that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Listen what Jesus said. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Because the night is coming. When no man can work. While it's still day, can we do some work to see treasure rather than trash? You see, Jesus, God notices our acts of mercy. He notices our acts of compassion. And that's when we do individual works to help lift people up. He even notices our acts of justice. And that's when we sometimes have to raise the question, what system is permitting people to stay in these conditions? You see, mercy will give personal aid to those that are in need. Compassion will lift people up out of their need. But justice asks the question, why is this need in our community? What kind of public policies are in place? What kind of governmental policies are permitting these things to take place? And we go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go and let my people grow. You see, people invest in natural treasures, but we as a kingdom must invest in people. You see, people are what God values. See, with our spiritual eyes, we need to see incarnational greatness in everybody. Incarnational greatness means that somehow my treasure of the incarnation, I was made in God's image and in his likeness, got marred because of sin and because of corruption and because of Satan. Incarnation simply means that God has invested in humanity, characteristics and likeness and actions that are like himself. You see, friends, as I close tonight and I stir you, I want you to know that at Christmas time, when it comes around, 
we hear the angel coming to Jesus' mother, Mary, and he says, you shall be with child and you shall bring forth a firstborn, the only begotten of the father, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. I've gotten acquainted with God with us. I experience Emmanuel in my worship. I experience Emmanuel in you, God with us. But have you thought about the next dimension? Not only is God with us, but Jesus was God as us. You see, in Matthew chapter 25, he says this. I was hungry. And you fed me. I was like you. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was like you. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was like you. When they took his body down off the cross, it was some women in Joseph of Arimathea that took that naked body and wrapped it so delicately. Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed me. He said, I was an international and you took me in. When Herod announces he's going to kill all of the male children, an angel comes and tells Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt, an African nation. He flees there, and Egypt rocks the holy family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, until Herod is dead. And then they come up, and when they find out that it's still too dangerous to go back to the city of his birth, they go all the way up to Galilee and get raised in Nazareth. Listen to me very closely. He was a, he was a refugee running from that country for a refugee. Someone that's fleeing for their safety and for their life from a dangerous situation. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. He said, I was in prison. You visited me. And then finally, he talks about, I was sick. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He's not only God with us, but he's God as us. Let me close this out and Pastor Ray, you can come. Listen, to reach lost people. We must do mercy, compassion, and justice. People are treasures. People have incarnational greatness. And if I can see God in every person, if I can see that there's a treasure inside, all they need is to be ignited in their spirit. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. All they need is to be ignited in their spirit and that incarnational greatness for them to, re for them to embrace that image and likeness can come back again. Our church is involved in 16 different prisons in our state because we see people carried away in the prisons. There's a heroin epidemic in my state. I don't know what's happening in New England. I go to prisons because a lot of young men from the inner city went to prison because they were selling crack or possessed crack. There was not any Narcon injections for them. There was not any public policy to put them in treatment. There was not any public policy to help them or to take them to hospitals. They went to prison. A lot of people that look like me in our city are angry about that. Because there was not the benevolent help and support that we see now 
that certain drugs have moved out in my context and in my part of the world into the suburbs. Now police, medical officials are helping everybody on heroin. So when I go to prison, I see a lot of folks that look like me. When I walk across the yard, somebody says, Habla Espanol, I say, Yo, Habla Espanol, un poquito. <laughs> I speak a little Spanish. But I don't speak Spanish well enough to preach, so. But I tell them that if you're bilingual, come on into the chapel. And friends, I have a chance to minister to people in prison because people in prison, we call them in our community now returning citizens. And in the state of Ohio, we have 11,000 returning citizens that return to our community every year, 11,000. We have to stand and say, I see treasure in those men and women when they return. We have worked as a church enough to eliminate the box now in employment for state and city officials so that no one will ever ask them, do you have a felony again if you're going for a state or a city job? We can't do it in private industry, but some of private industry is now catching on because why punish a man for seven years in prison and then he comes out and he wants to work, he desires to work, but when he checks his box, he can't work. And you know what? That's where the voice of the church came in because we are an alternative community that says we see treasure in that which you might have called trash and want to throw away. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way. So we not only visit them on the inside, but we want to make sure that their system set up on the outside. I'm working with an effort right now that uh, Columbus, Ohio with the city and we're working with a city councilman is writing an ordinance that with every city contract, a certain percentage of private industry, if they want that city contract, they have to hire a certain amount, a percentage of returning citizens on that contract we can't control private industry but we can show make an influence in government so that when guys come out of the joint come out of prisons whether it's our county jail whether it's a federal prison or whether it's a state prison we give them a hand up not just a handout i want to have some treasure in heaven and I don't know how you're doing on all these boxes, but what I want to do as we close this service, it'll be a little bit different. I want to spend a few moments in prayer and ask God to stir up inside of each one of us. Where is it that God is showing you that you can make an impact? I had us affirm, you can't do everything, but you can do something. I have some women and some men in our church that are working with human trafficking in our city. Because we have found that there's a link between pornography prostitution and then deviant kinds of behavior in human trafficking with young men and young women and we said what can we do to establish Rahab's house with women that are caught up and young men that are caught up in this thing called trafficking can be rescued and brought to a safe place given skills and maybe even relocated to another city so that they could be safe. What can we do? What can we do to establish 
a community-wide ID. That's what we're doing in our city. Because when you snatch somebody, sometimes the pimp or the person that is trafficking them have taken away their birth certificate, social security card, has taken away their driver's license. So we need a county ID. I found out that you need ID to get ID anymore. And friends, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. But we have to embrace a world that's much larger than ourselves. Until the church embraces a world much larger than itself. We can never change the world. And that's what God called us to do. But I need to be able to see treasure where other people see trash. I want every one of us to just spend a few moments with me in prayer. Asking God to kind of stir up our hearts. If my heart is so cold and callous towards the poor, towards the underserved, towards the marginalized, towards the oppressed, then I need to ask God to change my heart and to give me the view that he has. God, help me to understand and to see the poor with different light. To see the underserved in a different light. To see the marginalized in a different light. Jesus, not only let me know God with us, Emmanuel, but let me know you as God as us. Let me know you as a hungry Jesus that I feed, a thirsty Jesus that I give something to drink, a naked Jesus that I give clothes to, a stranger and a refugee that I make room for, a sick Jesus that I come and see, a Jesus in prison that I come and visit. Because you're not only God with us, but you're God as us. You were in all points tested like as we yet without sin. We don't have a high priest that has not been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Stir us tonight, Lord. Stir us until we develop a team and take somebody into a prison or into a jail. Stir us until we develop a place where we can go to a school and say, what can I do to help? stir us until we connect with networks and collaborate with homeless networks that are giving direct aid or giving passive aid or giving food or helping the homeless not to be homeless anymore help us until we father help those that are involved and caught up in human trafficking young men and young women 13 to 17 is the average age of the prostitute on the street. Oh God, help us to change that. God, help us to take another view of widows and orphans. Help us to take another view of families that have had family breakdown where they don't even have the skills to help a kid learn how to read when he comes home. Help us to help that family. Where we say, why don't you sit at your table, young man, and do your homework? And he says, because I don't have a table at my house. I don't have a chair. I sleep on a mat on the floor because I'm poor. God, help us to step into somebody else's shoe. Because Jesus, you said the way that you'll judge nations. And I want our nation to be a righteous nation is what we do to the least of these. Help us to see treasure, not trash. And Father, if we'll have a desire, you will make the connections for the resource because provision comes after vision. Give us a vision and then the provision will follow. Stir us, oh God, because we may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. Help us, oh God.
Father, help us with the international networks that are around our, our city today. Those that are connecting with internationals that are coming in. Some don't know the culture. They don't know the customs. They don't know the language that is in our region. God, don't help us to see them as trash, burdens, and trouble. But Father, help us to see them as treasure. Could it be that you brought them into New England to have an encounter with Jesus Christ? God, stir us. Because all of us have a passion, but sometimes we just put it out of the way as we go about our further education, our jobs, taking care of our family, and all of those are necessary. We do not demean those, Father, but oh God, help us. Help us to embrace a world beyond ourselves so that when we walk through this field, we can find the treasure. We can dig it up. Pay whatever price is necessary to clean it off so that you can put it out on display. Oh God, as we pray today, stir our hearts. Everyone won't be stirred in the same way, but everyone can be stirred in some way. God, help us today. Help us, Jesus, help us. Help us to be more effective as a church. We minister around the globe. Help us to minister across the street. Help us to have community impact. Help us not to have successful churches and then a failing community. God help us. God show it to us. And if you first give us vision, then you'll give us strategy. And if we'll follow your strategy, then you'll give us provision. And we can make a difference in the life of the treasure that is in the earth. Use our hands. Use our feet. Use our voice. Use our resource. Use us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, let there be an operation, pure religion and undefiled in this church. To visit the widow and the orphan in their distress. Father, we'll be the better for it as a church. And you never will forget our works of faith and our labors of love. And then at the end, individually, you'll render unto us according to our ways and according to the fruit of our doing. And on our watch, we will help our nation to be sheep and not goats. Where you'll say, come in and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Thank you for that now. We bless you for it now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, don't let us forget our kids and our youth and get them involved so that the next generation of Christians will be engaged and involved and they will have a cause to live out their faith. Now, Father, in this church, as we close our time, Lord, would you bless and keep your people. You lift up your face upon them and be gracious unto them, Faith Christian Center. Would you lift up your countenance and grant them peace this day and forevermore? We thank you for it and bless you for it now. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise.